and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. And I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, so whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Welcome to our bonus episode where we watched Bram Stoker's Dracula, the 1992 movie by Francis Ford Coppola. And what a watch it was. We didn't watch it together this time. We did not. We didn't, which sucks, but I also, it's a long movie. It's long. (laughs) No, I want to push back against that because it's only just over two hours which by modern standards right if you're going to watch a marvel movie you're there for like two and a half almost three hours these days Mm -hmm. um and it's it's a tight movie like the pacing you know that's the first thing that jumped out at me when i started watching it was like oh we're not wasting any time he's going right to transylvania and he's coming (laughs) back right away like um it's a tight two hours i actually think that's to the movie's benefit uh and as you said, this is a strange movie. I think we're going to be somewhat critical of it, um, despite its status as some kind of classic. Mm-hmm. But one thing I, I won't criticize, I think that the the pacing, I think its length is appropriate for the story that they've chosen to tell. Yeah, I, I, it has an energy to it. I think it's just the style of the movie. And like I said but before we started recording... This is weird. It's a weird film. Um, it's actually its 30th anniversary this month. It came out 30 years ago. We planned that, obviously. <laughs> we definitely didn't learn that in research. I, I, I knew it was its 30th anniversary. I didn't know it came out in November. That's amazing. Right? So we are recording this in November, of course. Hello from the past. Uh, but we're <laughs> going to drop this during our holiday break because we know that you miss us and i hope everybody's having a restful end of their year i hope you miss us terribly so here you go <laughs> uh we watched this movie for you uh i thought it was long Kara's like nope it's great <laughs> um well it did take me i kept pausing it to like take a break and do other things and give my brain a rest ah. here's why steph i watched this movie in french what oh my god you think you're better than me don't you (laughs) (laughs) i mean obvious no um so this movie was available through a streaming service called crave here in canada um but it was only available in french and so i could have rented it from youtube or you know watched it in other ways that we won't talk about on the air (laughs) legal ways but i i decided you know what let's challenge myself let's watch (laughs) dracula in hard mode so i watched it in french so it's dubbed in french and the only captioning available was french so what (laughs) so i watched it with the french captions on which was i don't know if it was the right call or the wrong call what i've learned and and i'll I'll give some background here for the benefit of our non-canadian listeners here in canada French is our second official language. We got English, we got French, um, and then we ignore all the indigenous languages that still exist and probably should be funded the same way. Mm. So here in Canada, at least here in Ontario, you are required to study French in school if you go to an English language school. You could also go to a French school or a French immersion school. We won't get into it. So I took French from grade one. These days you start at grade four, but... Really? Cool. You start that late? <laughs> yeah. They changed it because funding. <laughs> um, Jesus. So I took French from grade one all the way through the end of grade 12. You can drop it after grade nine or 10, I think. Yes. But I'm like, no, I liked, I liked French class. That's the problem. I liked French class. I was good at school. I've never been good at speaking French because that's not what they teach you in core French. They teach you grammar they teach you how to conjugate verbs exactly <laughs> i can still conjugate a verb in french like nobody's business i can't speak Me too. it or understand neither it can shit. i so yeah. <laughs> so i'm i'm watching this movie and i'm listening to the french language dub and you know for short exclamations like embrassez moi sure um i understand what they're saying but for anything more substantial i'm just like this does not parse <laughs> in my brain but I can read the captions. 
Um, you know, there's words here and there I don't understand, or, you know, I, I kind of have to infer from what's going on in the action, but I was able to understand what was going on in the movie. So I'm a little bit impressed with it myself. I'm impressed. But if, if, if I did misinterpret anything, it may be because I watched it in <laughs> French. And I've watched this movie before, but it was one of those movies where I don't think I've ever watched the whole thing all the way through. It was kind of like it was on the Space Channel here and there over the year, the formative years of my youth. And I just kind of like, oh, yeah, I'll watch the first half hour. Oh, I'm going to watch the last 20 minutes. I'm going to watch a middle 10 minutes when it's on. Like, I, this is the first time I've really sat down and, like, experienced Dracula. Mm-hmm. And it was in French. That is so funny. Well, hey, kudos to you for taking the initiative and understanding a lot of it. I'm impressed. Like, my, like most people I know, as we said, it's our second language. But majority of friends of mine do not speak French at all or read it just like me. So yeah. good for you. What were your impressions as you watched it before we get into discussing the movie itself? How did you feel? I felt confused. <laughs> I think because I've seen this movie before. I saw it when I was a little kid. Uh, and mm -hmm. some of the scenes really stayed with me because... It's a spectacle, right? This is a very theatrical movie. The set looks beautiful. The costumes, the, the makeup, everything. So things stand out. And there's that scene where Lucy turns into a vampire. And then they have to go to her coffin and kill her. And that's always stuck out to me. So there's some scenes yeah. where I was like, oh, this. <laughs> but overall, I was just like, it was hard for me to grasp why this movie's considered a classic. I agree. Yeah. And I think it's a classic for the reasons I just stated. It is like operatic, right? Like it's it's a theater mm -hmm. production. It's a production. It's like an, an yes. homage to classical movies, to classical theater, to cinema. I get it in its time and place why it was so impactful. But when you watch it in 2022, it's silly. <laughs> it's campy. It's melodramatic, which nothing wrong with those things. But that's why I was like, why is this a classic? You know what I mean? I agree. Um, yeah, so, you know, you and I, Steph, we were born in the late 80s. Um, we were toddlers when this movie came out. Yeah. So I think that's part of the reason why we have such a different relationship with it from maybe uh, people who were watching it as adults or late teenagers when it came out in the 90s is because we were exposed to it as children. We, we weren't aware of what it was building on and what Coppola was paying homage to mm -hmm. so so it hits differently for us i also think this reminds me so there's a parody of this movie there's a spoof by mel brooks called dracula dead and loving it. yes which i love <laughs> we should watch that yeah. next yeah that's and, such a good one we, we totally should yeah um but I, I think the problem is i think i confused i conflated these two movies oh. <laughs> not that i said we watched the wrong one sorry steph i made you watch the wrong movie um, no but like i think things i remember from the mel brooks movie were actually from this movie and vice versa in my brain because I watched them both when I was like, you know, 10, 12 years old. <laughs> I think you actually just pinpointed one of the reasons why I was getting not, I don't know, a better, I don't have a better word for for confused, but I think it's because I was like remembering Dracula Dead and Loving It, which is a comedy. It's surreal. It, yeah. It's surreal to watch this movie knowing it's from the director of the Godfather movies, which are you know, often cited as the best movies of all time. And we're watching this movie, which also received a lot of critical acclaim and awards. Yes. It's surreal. It's like, what? Sorry, I don't want to, you know, make fun of people who use drugs. But like, what were you on, dude? <laughs> was it cocaine? Was this from the cocaine-fueled 80s? I'm like, what was going on here? So it did win an enormous amount of Academy Awards. And by enormous, I mean three out of the four that it was nominated for. Uh, it won Best Costume Design, Best Sound Editing, and Best Makeup. Um, and it was nominated for Best Art Direction, uh, but lost. Okay, it deserves all those things. It's it the does, acting yeah. and writing in this movie that sucks. Well, that's, so like here, the, the good things about it, again, is that it's, it's a spectacle. It is something to watch and feast your eyes and take it all in. The, the colors the way that they've used the cameras, right? Like a lot of cool things coming mm -hmm. from this movie. But yeah, where it lost me was that like, I don't give a shit about the story. Like, I don't. Right. Why do we I think care? that's the right attitude to have. <laughs> Shall I summarize 
Bram Stoker's Dracula 1992 for us. Yes, yes, immediately. Okay, this was a hard movie to summarize because there's a lot going on in this movie. Um, But I've done my best. So bear with me. It's a little bit longer than my Twilight summaries. (laughs) Vlad Dracul is metal. How metal is he, you ask? He's so metal that when he gets upset about the death of his OTP, Elisabetta, uh, and her consequent eternal damnation uh, he stabs a stone cross so hard it bleeds and then he drinks its blood and claims he will come back from the dead and walk the earth forever because he's really pissed off (laughs) that is how metal he is smash cut 400 years to the 1890s Elisabetta has been reincarnated or so count dracula believes as mina the fiance of his himbo lawyer, Jonathan (laughs) Harker. Dracula traps Harker in his castle in Transylvania, travels to London in a box of dirt, gets a serious glow-up, including some really spiffy glasses, and seduces Mina. Somewhere along the way, he also seduces Mina's slutty friend, Lucy, and turns her into a vampire. Harker and Mina get married. With the help of Van Helsing, they recruit a squad to hunt and kill Dracula, But remember, he is metal, and he will cut you. (laughs) Dracula almost succeeds in seducing Mina and transforming her into a vampire, but she eventually decides, eh, she'd rather not. Kills him in a church, the same one where he became a vampire, and he and Elisabetta's souls get into heaven. Or at least that's what we're led to believe by the weird fresco mural thing that showed up on the ceiling. Mm -hmm. The movie ends right there and does not bother to show us what happens to Harker or Mina because... That part is boring and we don't care. (laughs) The end. We don't care. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Here's what kind of threw me off. Another reason why I was like, what am I watching? It's a love story, right? Like, this is a love story that they're telling. Yes, this this is clearly meant to be a tragedy. (laughs) Yeah. Like, they've really dressed up Dracula to be this like fallen angel, this tragic hero who really was just, he was just fighting wars and loved his wife so much. And when she killed herself because of, you know, I don't know, confusion, he he damns himself. He's like, I'm not going to go to heaven because she killed herself and she's not going to heaven. So I'm just going to do this. And, and then he meets Mina uh, 400 years later and he's like she's reincarnated it's time and like he but then he's like i won't change you mina i can't change you and she's like no change me and i was like this is the origins of twilight this is yes this is a love story and i was like what because again hey do i think bram stoker's dracula is a better overall story than twilight i don't know uh what i do know is twilight is way more entertaining and Edward Cullen is super hot. Because, Cara, I watched this a week ago, right? And I was texting you when I was yes. watching it. And I said, I don't like how this movie is trying to gaslight me into thinking that Gary Oldman's hot. <laughs> I don't like how this movie's trying to gaslight me into thinking bite sex is hot, Steph. <laughs> We're going to have a conversation about that, I'm sure. Oh, we will. Because uh, I have things to say about that. But, like, oh, I, was, I was like, no, Dracula is such an evil demon-like character. Yet they're like... Poor Dracula. <laughs> Poor, sweet, <Right>. hero, tragic <laughs> Dracula. Oh, I'm glad he got to heaven With at the end. sad, young Gary Oldman eyes. <laughs> With his mustache and beard. I was like, I can't. I, I just don't. I don't care. I don't care about this. I don't feel bad for him. This is weird. And also, also, not the actor's fault, I'm sure, but like Gary Oldman and Winona Ryder look generations apart. They look... Right. So different in age. Yeah, let's just take a moment here and review this literally star-studded cast. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I've seen a movie with this much star power in a while. So you got Gary Oldman as Count Dracula, Winona Ryder as Mina Harker, Anthony Hopkins, the Sir ha- Anthony Hopkins himself as at Van Helsing, um, and also the narrator. Um, although 
I, I, I just got a French narrator. I don't know if it was the same person as Ben Helsing. <laughs> yeah, how would you know? Um, <laughs> Richard E. Grant is in this movie. I didn't recognize him because he's much younger in this movie. <laughs> uh, but it's dark. Uh, Carrie Ells. Yeah. Ellis. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I love him. You know, yeah. from Princess Bride, of course. Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Yes. Um, Saw. <laughs> Billy Campbell, Sadie Frost, Tom Waits as Renfield. Wow. Yeah. Um, and you may not have recognized her, but Monica Bellucci is in there as one of the vampire chicky boos. Oh, good for her. Yeah, well, I think when you have a uh, director like Francis Ford Coppola, you have actors, it doesn't matter what the script is, they're like, please, I want to work with Francis, you know? Yeah. And so, of course, I left out the one, the only Canadian Keanu Reeves himself as Jonathan Harker. Oh. And I have to say, this is the one disappointment of watching the movie in French for me was, because I think, honestly, I think I paid more attention to the movie because I had to read the <laughs> captions this way. Um, I didn't knit as much, but... I didn't get to hear his infamously terrible English accent. <laughs> yeah. I actually went on YouTube afterwards and I looked up a couple clips just so I could like dose myself before the podcast. Yes. Uh, it's bad. Sweet, sweet Keanu. Sweet, sweet Keanu. Uh, it, he's so calm <laughs> in this movie. Uh, you can tell he's going for like stoicism, but it just compared to all the other heavy hitters that you just named. Keanu stood no chance. He was a miscast. I'm not good with accents. Like, as in, like, if I hear one, I'm like, yeah, that sounds legit to me. But I heard his and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> well, it, it's because it kept slipping, right? Yeah. That's the issue when you're trying to do a, an accent for acting. You may not nail the actual accent. And of course, people who know that accent will notice. People like yourself, like you're saying, who don't know the accent won't notice. They'll just be like, it's an accent, right? Yeah. It's vaguely English sounding. It's good. His problem is he's all over the map. So it, it, it's it's at the point where it's like, well, you might as well not do an accent at all. Yeah, just be your California American like where you like you're good at. Uh, but I, I did read in behind the scenes that like Francis Ford Coppola loved Keanu like as as a person, like as an as as, as we all. Right? As like, we all he just do. saw it earlier than we did. Yeah. He was like, no, no. Like I thought he was I still think he's good for the role. Like he's a great person, in my opinion. Like just just love the guy. <laughs> So, but this is the thing about a director like Coppola, right? Is he's at a point in his career where where he can make a bad movie, a good movie. He can make any movie, whatever movie he wants, right? He can cast whomever he wants. And even if people criticize his casting choices, he's just like, whatever. Like, I don't care at this point. Yeah. I've made three Godfather movies. I'm done. I'm just going to make whatever the hell I want to make for the rest of my career. He's like, I'm the greatest director of all time. I don't give a shit if you guys don't like Keanu's performance. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, but no, but like you said, Anthony Hopkins and Gary Oldman in these roles, they are hamming it up. And it's actually, they're very fun to watch. I don't know what you thought overall of their performances but for me i was like they're both so odd like they're just doing odd things and it's weird they're really committing to the character mm -hmm. um you know i'm not gonna like be all like method acting or whatever but like so the character of dracula in this movie is super interesting i think the costuming is part of it so i think when we talk about the costuming in a moment we can get into that but it's also oldman's performance because when he is because part of the costume is Dracula shifts, right? Yeah. He can change shape, but also, like, even when he's human, like, we first meet him in contemporary uh, Transylvania, and he's, like, he looks old. He's, like, all white and pasty, and his hair is all... He's got his, like, Balzac hairstyle. <laughs> it's strange. Yeah. Um, and, but then he comes to England, and he's... Dapper. Young. <laughs> Yeah, right? It's such a, an interesting transformation. And so, yeah, part of that is costume and makeup, but it's also the way that he carries himself, how he talks, um, how he gestures. When he is the Count, he's, like, looming over Keanu, and he's, like, you know, he's got the fingers yeah. and the expression, and he laughs a lot. The shadow, yeah. And when he's the Prince, you know, he he's quiet, Mm -hmm. um, and he listens and he, he whispers to Mina and he says, you know, remember who you are. <laughs> <laughs> like Mufasa. <laughs> um, yeah, 
And that's because that's his seduction is on at that point, right? He's like, okay, I got to be young, handsome, charming, so I can convince this girl that she used to be my wife, and then I'm going to turn her into a vampire. It's going to be great. Um, <laughs> um, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Again, like when I said they're trying to gaslight me into thinking Gary Oldman's like a sexual creature, uh, because him and like Winona Ryder have that like bite scene. Um, he He turns into a wolf and has like, Bitey wolf sex with Lucy. That was so fucked up. So fucking weird. So this movie is quite erotic in weird ways, in weird, strange, twisted ways. This movie, this movie might have given birth to uh, many people's like monster erotica obsessions. Well, I wouldn't be surprised because even obviously the threesome with Keanu Reeves and the three brides, um, where they're like biting and like I think one bites his dick. It looks like. Whoa! So dick. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Keanu is clearly the Riley of this movie. Oh, right? absolutely. Yes. Except I would rather watch Keanu. Fair. <laughs> um, no shade on Mark Lucas, though. No, 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 no. Again, we, we love you, Mark Lucas. Uh, the the sexual contrast between Lucy and Mina is set up very early, right? Lucy's rich and has wears her like revealing outfits and is like sexually more free. I am here for Lucy's slut era, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, Even if it's somewhat ahistorical, right? (laughs) Like, they're just, they're hanging out. They're all over their fiancés or their gentlemen and stuff, right? It's like, okay, okay. And I know this is the 1890s. I know we're we're trending towards the more liberal end of the Victorian era, getting into Edwardian shit. But, like, wow. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I'm here for, I love Lucy. I think she's a fantastic character. I am not going to judge her for wanting all the guys because you go girl. You know, you don't have many options, especially at that level of society, right? You can't, you know, sneak away. It's like, you got to be there. You got to marry and settle down and have babies. And it's like, you know, yeah, you have your fun. You you make out with Mina in the garden um, <laughs> and, you know, watch your uh, take a look at the slutty pictures in uh, Arabian Nights, I think it was. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And like ask. I love it. People have sex this way. Uh, good for you, Lucy. I'm so sad that what ended up happening to you. But like you notice because she's like that, she's the first target of Dracula. Um, she gets turned into a vampire. And then Mina. Are, 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 wait, sorry. Are you telling me? that this story is about a cautionary tale of women shouldn't be sexual beings because otherwise they'll be victimized by monsters? Absolutely. Yes, I am. That's exactly what I'm saying. Shocking. Oh, my I know. God. Does what? anybody else know about this about Dracula? <laughs> what? I know. And that's the thing, too, because look at Mina, right? Mina's journey from being, like, a school teacher and buttoned up and like, oh, Lucy. Oh. And then all of a sudden at the end of the movie, she's like trying to get Van Helsing to do her, you know, like just, whoa. <laughs> yeah, she's un- she's undoing her decolletage and, you know, they're out there in the cold. There's, it's, it's biting winter winds and she's just like, I know you want me. <laughs> and he does. He's like oh. kissing her, right? And like, oh, oh, Anthony Hopkins, you dog. Kudos to Winona Ryder who was probably like i don't know 10 when she did this movie um good for her for appearing to be attracted to both gary oldman and anthony hopkins two old dudes <laughs> i noticed how you've left out the being attracted to jonathan harker oh be attracted to keanu that's the whole point except like you know <laughs> later his hair goes all gray <laughs> i thought that was again costuming right but like yeah you know so, so the ridiculousness of so he goes to transylvania yeah. to be dracula's lawyer right Dracula is like, oh, your wife's kind of hot. Your or, your fiance's kind of hot. <laughs> and he's like, I know, right? Right? And then Dracula's <laughs> like, can you write a couple of letters uh, to people you know back in London telling them that you're fine? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and post-date them for me? <laughs> um, and he's like, yeah, that seems fine. And then it's like, he lets Count Dracula shave him oh, with a straight razor? Oh, my God. Even, no, the very beginning when he's picked up on the road and he's almost like by scooped yes. into the carriage by like claw hands i was the, yeah the coachman yeah. has serious vibes picked him up like it literally swooped him into the carriage i was watching this with uh, sebastian and we were both just like what was that <laughs> And then he's, like, going toward this, like, castle. There's blue flames shimmering around it. He goes inside. It's clearly 
an evil castle and he's just like hello dinner time (laughs) this is the problem when you don't have the internet right like i feel like these days we're just so savvy with meme (laughs) culture that we would see that and we just we would nope the fuck out we would just be like nope not today count and the count is making all these obvious jokes like i think at one point at dinner dracula says to him sorry i won't be dining with you i don't drink and then he's like wine <laughs> and we're just like oh my could this guy be a, g- a vampire later on he, he says something about how the english have good taste <laughs> jesus love it okay but like that's the campiness of it and that's that's what i do enjoy what sent me was when he licks the razor blade <laughs> he's like, oh yeah the way he does it with his tongue i'm just like who are you gary oldman i'm sorry please uh, yeah so let, okay let's talk let's get this out of the way right now so the erotic scene of the biting with winona and gary you replace them with angel and buffy i am here for it but watching winona and gary oldman do it i was like oh no Oh. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Be still my beating heart. Is Stephanie Chow saying that she's found an instance of bite sex that is not sexy? <laughs> yes. There. Put it on record. I didn't like this one, and but it that's when it, it all comes down to the shallowness of my this eyes. This whole movie was worth my... it now. This is so worth it. What it comes down to is the fact that I'm a shallow person and if I don't find you attractive, then I don't want to <laughs> see you do that. You know, but if you are attractive to me, do away you know like uh, have fun that, because okay, i don't okay mind. that's fair yeah I, I i understand um and i agree with you in this particular instance <laughs> so going forward now whenever there's bite sex i'm just gonna be steph sexy or not sexy and you can be like sexy or not sexy yeah. and you can rate it i um, have a little sign and i'll hold it up for you <laughs> <laughs> can we have a sound effect yeah no i i'm with you so the the sexuality of this movie is very fascinating. So we got the bite sex there. We've mentioned the... He looks like a werewolf. I'm going to call it werewolf sex. I know he's not a werewolf, <laughs> but he looks like one. It looks like the costume from Buffy, I was right? going to say that, yeah. I was like, it looks like Oz, yeah. <laughs> so, like, he shows up in London, and he looks that way. And this was something I was wondering. And I don't know if maybe I missed an explanation because it was in French, but is his... Can he control his shape-shifting, or is it more tied to his mood and how um, satiated he is, right? Because, like, I thought he showed up in London, and he'd been sitting in a dirt box for, like, two months. So maybe he he was, like, degraded, and then he had to feed from Lucy and, and you know, feed off her energy. Um, and that's what allowed him to turn into glowed-up Gary Oldman. I don't recall that they ever explained that, but, like, I think that's valid. My My view on it is that he he took that form that he chose to right and That's i don't the know why <laughs> it could be a glamour yeah. kind of like we saw with uh the, the buffy dracula yeah because uh, uh he changes forms a couple times in this movie um so i always think it's, it's yes. on purpose or like maybe he has to like power up that way i don't know like maybe he yeah, can't stay in his human form he, that he, long he, the, the 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 like human bat form that he had when <laughs> um they're confronting him in the house it's just like oh that's uh the, the the research i did for this movie was extensive in terms of parallels between vampire folklore used in bram stoker's dracula the book and the movie versus what mm-hmm. we see in nowadays uh, as oh, well wow. in buffy and stuff right so one of the things that i did learn in my research was that that idea was gary oldman's and gary oldman's alone because he was going to turn into a bat no matter what and he could have been a normal bat i think but he was like no i want to be in this giant wow. sticky bat costume. <laughs> he couldn't have been a bat so maybe that was part of it right he's like don't replace me with a bat yeah. actor come on <laughs> I have never been replaced once in my long career. I will not start here. He also played the wolf. Yeah. yeah, and then when he was Sirius Black in the Harry Potter films, he played the dog as well. <laughs> he, he was also all of the rats that he turns into. To me, the most the, the most impressive of his performances was when he was the mist. Oh, absolutely. That, that was probably the hardest to pull off, but he did it. Good for him. He, yeah, but I learned that, that he was like, not just any bat will do. I have to be the bat. Um, and that's when I was, it lost me because I'm like, I get it's a love story. I get that they just tried to have this erotic blood sex. But um, when he turned into the bat, I was like, Mina, look alive. 
The guy, the guy is a bat. <laughs> this, this is not good, my girl. Um, you what should you swipe doing? left. What are you doing? And it's so embarrassing that her husband and all her friends found her. <laughs> oh my god, you need you need to do a Tinder profile for Count Dracula for this movie, where it's like the the sexy prince is his first photo, and then each of the photos gets progressively more disturbing. <laughs> You don't like that? How about this? Because you swipe through. Because <laughs> here's the thing, and I, I'm not on Tinder, but my impression is you should just never swipe through people's photos because you will always regret it. Yeah, like the first one's always like the, the one you need to focus on. But really, you should swipe through everyone's photo, fo- through the, all the photos, everyone, because you, you don't want to end up sitting somewhere for an hour with somebody you're really grossed out by. That's fair. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say is people tell on themselves. <laughs> it's so true. People can't help it. Um, <laughs> do you want to hear some of these parallels that I came up with? Please. All right. So, uh, of course, and you've mentioned this before, I uh, believe back when we did Dra- uh, Buffy versus Dracula, was Vlad the Impaler who's a real person, right? right? And this is where Dracula comes from. He's the son of that guy, I think. He's supposed to be, like, I think Dracula means, like, son of the dragon. You notice, like, in the movie, he's got his family crest. It's got a dragon on it. So it all leads back to that guy. Uh, But I learned why he's called Vlad the Impaler. It's because in the movie, which has also happened in real life, Vlad the Impaler apparently left all the dead bodies impaled on the battlefield for all their leaders to find later. So it's pretty, pretty gruesome. So that was the first thing. It's like, yep, Vlad the Impaler, real person. That's who Dracula's based off of. But the blue flame, <laughs> we, we mentioned it earlier. Keanu Reeves is driving up to this castle and there's like that blue flame floating in front of the, the door. And he's just like, oh, weird. <laughs> um, yep. He doesn't think any, he doesn't well, ask about it. But uh... <laughs> And uh, shout out to Count Dracula's incredible train on his robe oh. that's like several meters long. And, and I have to ask, do you not get annoyed that he keeps catching on your doors and stuff? <laughs> you need like How a, impractical is that? You need like you need a maiden, like where's Randforth or whatever his name is, to like, you know, make sure it's billowing out behind you and not getting all tangled. Like, I mean, I get that it's cold and that that castle must be drafty. No wonder he wants to move he wants to move to London, which is rainy. <laughs> but he's like, it's better than here. Right? Like and on my wedding day I had a I had a long train on my dress, but like nowhere near that long. And you definitely need people to main maintain it while you're going about your day <laughs> that's how you know you're rich <laughs> but apparently bram stoker got a lot of his information from a couple of sources but one of them is from emily gerard's articles on transylvanian superstition so part of transylvanian superstition one of them is that on saint george's night treasure can be found under a flickering blue flame so if you uncover the treasure that also attracts evil spirits. So the only way that you can keep evil spirits away from your treasure, which I'm assuming you bring home with you, is that you put three coals at the entrance of your house, uh, and that prevents the demon from entering. So this is possibly where the whole idea of vampires need to be invited in. Ah. Um, and as we know in Buffy, obviously that's something that they kept up there. Um, here, I don't think Dracula can enter. I think you have to come out to him. Uh, but also, you notice, like, at that scene, Harker, um, he, he has to voluntarily enter the castle. Yes, he's like, come in, and then you see Harker hesitate. Yeah. And then he steps over the threshold. It seems very significant. It is. So I was like, maybe it has to do with, like, the whole threshold thing with this blue flame. I don't know. Um, that's one. That's one thing I, th- I saw. So we already talked about shape-shifting, right? So shape-shifting is traditionally connected to vampires. And obviously Dracula can do this. And he did it in Buffy versus Dracula too. But one thing that you notice Dracula is, is like half werewolf. Like a lot of werewolf folklore is mixed in with Dracula. And he has hairy palms. Like, did you notice like in the castle, he's got like these hairy palms? I did not notice that part. So he does. And there's a werewolf book by uh, Sabine Baringold that inspired Stoker's novel as well. And where they say one way that you can identify a werewolf is small fingers and hairy palms. So I just find it really interesting that like... Dracula is not just a vampire, but he's also heavily mixed with werewolf tradition. 
Yeah, I think that's interesting too. Um, and first off, kudos on all the research you did. That's <laughs> so impressive and amazing. Thank you for doing that. I did not. I watched this movie last night in a rush because I've been watching Desert Bus for Hope all week. <laughs> um, it, no, I think you're right. The the mixture of folklore there, you know, I, I think that has to do with the fact that so many of these creatures coming from European folklore get kind of mixed and mashed up because of the migrations and, uh, you know, some history of colonialism, mm -hmm. of marginalized people, of people like the Roma, you know. And, and so I think these days the classifications have become more stratified, right? You got your werewolves, you got your vampires, you got your, I don't know, were chickens, whatever. <laughs> um, because because of pop culture, right? Some somewhere in like the eighties, nineties, early two thousands, people were really like, "Oh, I'm going to write vampire fiction. I'm going to write werewolf fiction." And it was like, you know, you start having your classes of creatures, almost like D and D. Um, whereas, of course, a hundred and twenty years ago, when Bram Stoker was writing this, you know. Um, the world was both more and less connected in a way. I, I think what's interesting about a novel like Dracula, and I was I was a little bit harsh on it when I talked about it in Buffy versus Dracula, because mm -hmm. it's been a long time since I've read it, and I don't think it's a particularly interesting novel in terms of the writing. It, it's just a slog to get through. Mm -hmm. But I, I, it's interesting because like so much literature at the end of the 19th century, you know, Stoker was seeing the end of an era. Um, the telegram, the telegraph machine had, had connected the world. And we see that in, in this movie. We see uh, the nuns sending a telegram to Mina to, to tell her to travel a very large distance so she can come get her man. <laughs> Please come pick up your man. He's all gray. <laughs> come get him. <laughs> uh, so we see that. We also see there's a scene where she and Gary Oldman go watch porn. Mm. And so we're seeing um, in the, the late 1800s, we're seeing the first moving pictures. I can't remember if it was like a, called a kinetoscope or something, but the first moving pictures, just like VCR technology, <laughs> were used for porn. Well, not the very first ones, but like, um, so, so those moving images we see on the screen of the, the scantily clad women, th that was a peep show a and sort of, uh, you know, Victorian era gentlemen would go into these little parlors, these dingy parlors, and they'd pay some money to look at photographs and then later moving pictures of, you know, sex acts and stuff. And that, mm. that was your first kind of commercialized um, for the mass market, I should say. Obviously, commercial porn has been around for, for <laughs> almost forever. But like that was your first kind of mass market commercialized porn. And that connects to the erotic aspects of the movie. But I think that there's a lot of commentary in the novel, as well as this movie, about how technology is changing the ways in which we connect. You know, um, they use trains in this movie. They travel across Europe by train. Travel is fairly easy for them to accomplish, right? Because after Dracula leaves England and goes back to Transylvania, they're not like, okay, cool. You know, he's gone. Great. We won um, because Mina's still on the hook. She's still connected to him. So they're like, let's be vigilantes, right? We're not going to report this to anybody because we're a bunch of rich white guys and we can do whatever the hell we want. <laughs> yeah. So they get on a train and they race Dracula back to Transylvania <laughs> to set a trap for him Yeah. because he's going by ship. But that's part of the technological aspect, right? Is Bram Stoker saying train beats ship and, you know, 50 years ago, traveling across the continent by train would take you still a long time and would be stressful and risky in some ways. And now he's like, yeah, you can just take a train to Romania and you can stop in the middle of nowhere and let your fiance go off with an old guy. And <laughs> Yeah. See, and this is so interesting that you're bringing up that history because Francis Ford Coppola knew this as well. And you notice, like, if we want to, you know, peel back another layer of this movie, the special effects, the, the funny blue flames that I just brought up, like all the weather stuff, he did not want to use CGI. He wanted to use traditional camera tricks and traditional yes, camera I did cinema know stuff. Yeah. Thank you for bringing it up. Which yeah. I think it adds to the whole classic like this is a classic movie because he's calling back to those old tricks the camera tricks that like even um when lucy 
goes back into her coffin. It's clearly they just rewound, like like played backwards mm-hmm. that. But it creates such an eerie look and feel and it makes it seem very otherworldly. And I think it's so much more effective. So I think if um, movies nowadays, like we said earlier, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all this stuff, they rely so heavily on green screen and, you know, oh, oh we'll just do that in special effects later. Uh, you could accomplish maybe not a similar one, but um, an equally effective trick or effect if you go back and look at how they used to do it back in the day when they didn't have the technology. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much we could dig into with with this comparison and what you're saying, Steph. What I think stood out for me, as you said, was the aesthetic it creates. Mm -hmm. It was a deliberate directorial choice. And, And so whether or not you think the effects hold up versus kind of modern CGI, I think the fact that he committed to it is what makes it successful, right? If he had decided I'm going to go for a mix, then it would just be strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was consistent. So it creates that aesthetic. And, you know, CGI was not great back in 1992. <laughs> so, um, you know, probably for the best. But I, what I also love when I, because this is one of the few details I knew about the movie from reading about it at various points. Um, his original VFX team was like, we can't do all that. Like, we can't do practical effects like that. You've got to use CGI, my dude. Mm. Um, and he's like, I don't have to do what you say. You're all fired. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> and then he hired his son. <laughs> Never. Uh, and I'm just mentioning this because otherwise I know somebody's going to write in and be like, by the way, it was actually his son who did this. And like, yeah, hello, Hollywood nepotism. You know, obviously the Coppolas are a huge like movie family. The whole family. Coppola family, really. <laughs> right? But like, this is the thing. <laughs> he's like... Fine, you can't do it. I'll just make my kid do it. You know who could do this? My son. <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's big. Um, like, like it's very, uh, this is going to age this episode. I don't think this episode will age well, but I'm going to say it. This is like Elon Musk taking over Twitter where he's like, fine, I'm just going to fire you if you don't do it my way. <laughs> but the difference is Coppola pulled it off. The, the difference is Coppola has talent. And I'm sure a Ooh. lot of his family does. That's the yes, difference. He's not a I hack. Agree. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. But the other thing I wanted to say about the visual effects being this way is it made me think about how, like you were saying, you know, we can accomplish comparable things these days with CGI. And it's often easier. It's less expensive than doing all these Mm -hmm. tricks um, and more flexible because you're not like working with physical film, right? Like you you can't do some of these effects these days because we're not on film anymore, Mm -hmm. right? So much is shot digitally you couldn't do these effects. It's interesting to me that some of these techniques, though, are coming back. So I don't know if you're familiar with rear projection. Mm-mm. So rear projection is um, what they did before they used green screens so um, effectively. So that's where you project the image of like a background or something um, behind your actor. So they're standing in front of a really large screen. That's how they used to do like driving scenes when people were inside cars and stuff. And you can see in older movies, like you can see the film moving behind them and it's just not, it's a little janky. Um, so that's how they achieved some of the, uh, larger landscapes and such in this movie, like in the very opening, when you see Vlad, uh, you know, standing, like looking at the, defeated army and stuff Mm -hmm. that's all rear projection so that was all on the stage with him and disney and a couple of other studios are bringing that back these days so like the mandalorian um most of it's filmed using rear projection so all of those scenes instead of the actors being in front of a green screen and having to imagine what they're seeing they can see everything that we're seeing because it's all on these massive screens behind them and they're acting against it amazing that's yeah, so, cool. so you know, what's old is new again. <laughs> the final the final point I have about the visual effects, and I'm not going to pretend I know what practical effects teams were paid. They probably weren't paid very well. But I know that these days, especially with these larger studio productions like Marvel movies, um, the visual effects teams working on these movies are not paid very well. And, you know, they're treated horribly. It's very similar to the situation right now in the video game industry where you've got the crunch, you know, and and um, Marvel has trended towards hiring less experienced directors. 
So directors who maybe have like one big hit and then Marvel's like, we're going to give you this massive budget to do a huge Marvel studio movie. And you don't really know what you're doing, but it's okay because we can fix it in post, right? You know, we can just change it up. But of course, that puts so much pressure on the VFX team to make these deadlines. Mm-hmm. And especially if the director's coming in like a month before the movie comes out and they're like, no, 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 we got to change it. Um, so I've read several articles um, and I've heard from like friends of friends who work on Marvel movies that the conditions are unreasonably intense. Yeah. And it made me think like when I was watching this movie, again, I'm not, a, I'm not just going to assume that the practical effects team was treated better because they probably weren't. But it made me think about how, you know, we as viewers of this media, as consumers, shouldn't take for granted all of the labor that goes into creating these things for us to consume and enjoy. Um, sometimes we can be very critical of things like effects we can be like oh that didn't look very good you know that was a huge issue with the the she-hulk oh, series yeah. which i, was I have like, not watched shut up everyone shut up like it's right it's and, fine and, and <laughs> like to be clear you are allowed to criticize you can be like ah, i didn't like the effects but to constantly bring it up yeah and say like they should have done better it's like let's also celebrate that these are other people doing a job and not being paid very well. And maybe, you know, if we paid them better and gave them better working conditions and maybe uh, gave them more time, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we just produced fewer movies and TV shows each year. Yeah. Maybe things would be better. Um, and and that's my, my thought about this movie is they don't make them like they used to. And I don't want to be a curmudgeon when I say that, but like this movie would not be made today. Yeah. I agree. And that's why I was like, okay, I, that's why it's a classic, right? That's why people co- come wow, back to we it. We figured it out. Aha! It's because they, it's a, a movie like this will never be made again, I'm sure. And if it was, it probably wouldn't be, you know, received very it's, well. It's so lush. Like the, the, the opening, yeah. you know, the, the opening is a voiceover info dump, <laughs> which we don't get much these days. Yeah. The opening is brightly lit compared to everything else, mm-hmm. right? It's inten- intense colors. And like like the we're confronted by the costumes right away, um, and that's why I'm saying the word lush. I'm just like wow, like this is a whole aesthetic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, just very very elaborate. It's a feast, like I said. Um, back to like even like the simpler special effects. Uh, you know Dracula's shadow. <laughs> Dracula has a yes, shadow. Yes, I was good. Thank you. I was going to bring that up. His shadow has a mind of its own. I love it. It does, and that's a big joke in Dracula Dead. I'm loving it. But um, Dracula's not supposed to have a shadow in the book in vampire lore they don't have shadows and they don't cast reflections uh we see that in buffy as well but um apparently it's because if you don't have a soul you're not like a whole person therefore your shadow and your reflection are not there so i was like angel has a soul therefore angel should have had a reflection and a shadow which is really really cool um but the way they did the shadow was you see Gary Oldman, you see Dracula standing there and he's not moving. He's like, welcome to my castle, right? But behind him, his <laughs> shadow's like like leering over at Keanu Reeves. Um, that obviously was done in actual filming. There was somebody behind this curtain um, and they were shining a bright light on them and they were in a Dracula costume and they were actually doing <laughs> the motions for that, which is so I cool. I love that. Yeah, like it's so cool. So like, again, like nowadays they would just, you know, ploop, Let's put that on the computer and just do it there. Here they had somebody acting it out on stage, which is really, like you said, we don't really do that anymore. We're, we're lazier now. Or, or we, yeah, like you're saying, we're, we rely on people with the creative ability to create the stuff on computers. Yeah, so I, I only have a couple more parallels to bring up. Go for it. We already mentioned The Mist. <laughs> no sources on The Mist. Don't know why that's in there at all however I think it's just ominous right yeah. he can turn into this disembodied phenomenon and it, se- it seems like he has control over the weather to some extent he has um metafictional pathetic fallacy powers because there's that one scene where he's just screaming <laughs> for a storm and then van helsing notices and he's like yes i know it's you dracula my nemesis whom i've never met uh, before dracula yes but here's the thing so so yeah the mist might like you said it just looks cool um it's also that that uh dracula can just disappear and reappear so maybe that's just how Francis Ford Coppola was like, we'll just do it with mist. Yay. Uh, But the controlling weather has 
some Transylvanian superstition behind it. So apparently mm. there's black magic in the mountains of Transylvania called Sholomance or something like that. And 10 students, it's like a school, 10 students are allowed to go and entry to this mountain where they're taught by Satan himself. And then the 10th student becomes his assistant. And then he's granted the ability to f- control the weather. So here when Van Helsing's saying, I know it's you, it's because he's aware of this. He's aware that Dracula is a student of Satan and therefore is controlling the weather. So this is something I wouldn't have known watching the movie. But when you do a little bit of research, you're like, oh, shit. So this is really set in folklore, in uh, Dracula folklore, uh, but also vampire folklore. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, I, hey, I, I uncovered lots of little tidbits here. Uh, remember we were making fun of the soil? <laughs> like um, Dracula in Buffy versus Dracula. Um, Spike says he needs a special dirt, doesn't he? Like all that stuff. Um, so that's because um, in vampire folklore, periodically they're supposed to return to their specific location or grave that they, that they died mm-hmm. in. Um, and that's to power up. So that's why Dracula <laughs> travels with soil because he has to go back to it once in a while. <laughs> and then you notice that Dracula walked around during the day in his handsome self. Yes, he has no uh, vulnerability to the sun that we know of. Yeah, exactly. But he does not sparkle. No, he doesn't sparkle. But that was a shock to me when I was watching the movie. I was like, he's out in the daylight. But that's because I think, you know, we like to think of vampires as nocturnal and obviously Buffy, True Blood, all these things, they they can't be out in the sun. But traditionally, like they can, they're just not as strong as at night, like closer to midnight or whatever. So that's interesting to me. And then a lot of Bram Stoker's influence came from the books that I mentioned earlier, but a lot of it came from the German legend Faust. Which is uh, a pre- mm-hmm. which is a famous play or story. Bram Stoker used to work at a theater, so he watched Faust be played often, and that a lot of what happened in Faust is inspiring of Dracula and the modern vampire lore that we know now, such as crucifixes keeping back the demon. So like, I think he puts like sacrificial bread on Winona Ryder's face at one point, and she's like, ah. <laughs> And like holy water, obviously crucifixes. So that all comes from Faust. Because the whole thread of this story, right, is he becomes a vampire not because he was bitten, but it and and it's unclear to me if he's supposed to be the first vampire or if this is just kind of like this is just one of the ways you can get into the vampire club. But he becomes a vampire, as I said in my summary. He stabs across hardcore. It bleeds. Don't know how that (laughs) happened. But I, you know, that that is a connection to. Jesus Christ. and the crucifixion. Yeah. And he rejects God, right? He's like, I reject you three times or whatever. And suddenly God's like, all right, you asked for this. <laughs> you know, there's one point in the movie where he's like, God has turned his back on me. And everybody's like, yes, you asked him to do that. Like, <laughs> Isn't that not what you wanted? <laughs> Didn't you but do I, first? And I think that's part of the point, right, is he's been alive for 400 years and he's starting to realize maybe this wasn't a good call. Yeah. He's like, wait, wait. Oh no. And that's why at the end of the movie, he's begging for death, right? He's like, yes. Okay. Mina, Elizabeth, whoever you are. It is time. Let me die. Yeah. This would be a huge mistake. I'm so sorry. But this call comes back to what we said at the very beginning of this recording that like he's supposed to be, he comes across as a, a tragic figure, this like Romeo kind of guy where he's just like, I shall die now for you. But it's like, you did this, my friend. Like, I don't understand why I feel bad for you and why all of a sudden you're the Christ this, figure in this situation. You know? I, I mean, it, it's really big confidence of a mediocre white man energy, right? <laughs> right. Like, I am right? going to fuck up the lives of countless generations of people. Just because I'm having a bad day because someone I love died. Right? And then he's just like, I die now. And they're like, no. And he gets to go to heaven. Fuck that. Fuck that. What about Lucy? (laughs) What about Lucy? We just kind of forget about her, right? And Redfield, as I said, the movie ends with Mina 
beheading Dracula. Their friend died outside too, and they're, we're not just going to be like, oh, that's yeah. sad. Uh, Lucy, like all three of her boyfriends, had come on this journey to like avenge her, and like what Lucy's the fuck? harem of men <laughs> team up. That's I called it a squad. I'm just yeah. like, what do you call this? Like the only connection they have is that she was. I don't know if she was boning all of them or just they all wanted know, to bone her. No, she was. Engaged. They all wanted to bone her. They're like, well, if we can't bone her, we're gonna kill her. <laughs> bloodily they Oof. were all they were all courting her i think and then she chose right. robin hood from robin hood reddit men and tights obviously uh good choice yeah good choice that was the right choice um and then yeah then they're all just like let's get this bastard for taking her from us <laughs> <laughs> oh my god well so i also wanted to say i love it i love it when we we meet van helsing he's giving a lecture in kind of you know that that old style lecture in the round where he he's talking about um you know supernatural creatures he gets interrupted in the lecture somebody comes in and hands him a telegram and he reads it in the middle of the lecture and he looks up at everybody he's like that's it i gotta go he's like my buddy jack in london never met the guy but my buddy jack says he's found a vampire i gotta hightail it out of here and i love the audacity right <laughs> that it's like He's clearly left instructions with his servant or assistant or whoever it is, where it's like, if anybody, if anybody, if a random doctor in England telegrams me while I'm in the middle of an important lecture in front of my peers, you better, you better burst in there and interrupt me. You can't leave it for half an hour until I'm done. You know, I got to leave right away. I'm not going to finish my sentence. I'm just going to hightail out of here. It's it's not. He's like, the TA will cover it. Riley's here. Um, The, like... <laughs> the, the, he can't wait to get out of the academy. The the power move that is both Anthony Hopkins and Van Helsing, probably the same character if Van Helsing was real. Uh, the the drama that that creates, I think they live for it, right? He's just like, oh, this will be well, perfect. He's like Indiana Jones, right? Like, there's this wonderful. It might be a McSweeney's article. There's this wonderful article where it's like a. A faculty letter or something to Professor Indiana Jones, <laughs> because of course Indiana Jones is supposed to be a university archaeologist professor. Yes, right? yes. But we never actually see him teaching do that job. <laughs> He's constantly going out into the field. Um, you know, he probably leaves his students mid class, like Ben Helsing, <laughs> and he breaks laws, right? And like, you know, he's stealing cultural artifacts, and that, that's what Van Helsing is like here. He's just like, I'm going to leave, you know, class, and I'm going to go out into the field to hunt vampires. Way more interesting. I'm going to break a whole bunch of international laws while I do it. <laughs> oh, sir, sir, are you going to be back for the midterm? Fuck your midterm. <laughs> Lucy's in trouble. <laughs> I'm going to bring up my last parallel, just jumping on what you just said about Van Helsing and Indiana Jones. And I'm going to say that Joyce Summers is the Indiana Jones of the Buffyverse because she also is supposed to be a gallery manager. But really, we know she's off gallivanting the states, selling art pieces, doing black market shit and getting stoned. Well, shout out to myself (laughs) um i've uh i dropped a single chapter of buffy fanfic in our discord a few weeks ago i love as of recording i wrote some joyce fanfic and i've never i don't write fanfic it just kind of came to me i'm just kind of like joyce is speaking to me (laughs) i have to write a joyce fanfic and i i would write more and I'm I'm bringing this up now because what you're saying with your parallel, Joyce being Indiana Jones, you know, our fanfic is in the Prophecy Girls AU where uh, Joyce is, you know, Stoner Joyce, Art Gallery, Hobby Lobby, Smuggler Joyce, Badass Joyce, Spike fucking Joyce. <laughs> the Joyce <laughs> that, we all That's know our Joyce that's in, our in Joyce. my fanfic. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you you comparing Joyce to Indiana Jones is kind of crystallizing for me the vibe i'm going for which is kind of strange because i've never actually watched an indiana jones movie so yeah no need uh we have joyce and your fanfic now but yeah so so I'm, <laughs> I'm shouting this out um i'm not posting it anywhere else it's just there's a google link so you know if you want to read uh chapter one of my joyce fanfic what did i call it even uh i called it stone cold summers <laughs> um 
yes, please come join our Discord. Join our Discord. Come Prophecygirls. read it. slash Discord. And uh, you can read chapter one. And if, you know, if people are clamoring for it, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll drop a chapter two. And then maybe Disney will publish it. And then I'll interview you in a bonus episode. Um, that No, I highly recommend it. I'm not a big fan fiction reader. Uh, but Kara just like dropped this on me one night. She was like, look what I did. And I was like, oh my God, I love it. I love it so much. So come join the fun. Uh, any last thoughts on Dracula? Let, what are your final thoughts on Bram Stoker's Dracula 1992? Holy fuck, this movie is horny. Mm, as is the Dracula lore. Vampires are <laughs> horny in general, but not the horny I like to see. I like to see my like 26-year-old vampires <laughs> with clean-shaven faces and shirtless pining over their heroine and then doing I, her. I think it's so fascinating to hear you say that stuff because so when Twilight came out, we were like Bella's age, right? So we were age appropriate for Twilight. And now we're trending more towards the Twilight Mom <laughs> side of things, where we're like cougars thirsting after, you know, Edward and Jacob in ways that are borderline inappropriate. But you do you, um, and I, so I think that's interesting. I it because it, because we're not the original, the OG Twilight Moms. We are the OG Twilight fads now becoming Twilight Moms. <laughs> it's so fascinating to me. Well, think about it as a generational gap between Twilight and this movie, Dracula. Uh, we were toddlers, as you said, when this movie came out. So will we ever reach the age where we're like, you know what? Gary Oldman's doing it for me because he certainly does not do it for me now in my mid-30s. Well, because I, I always think of Gary Oldman as an older guy, right? I've only yeah. ever seen him in more recent, other than this one when I was younger, of course. Like, I, I remember him as, like, you know, Commissioner Gordon from the Batman films and That's stuff. what you remember. It's so funny how certain actors from the 90s, like, you remember them in a role and that's the role. Like, I know Gary Oldman. Obviously, I saw him in this before Harry Potter, but he's serious black to be, you know. I done my waiting 12 years of it in Azkaban. Like, that's, that's, the, that's the Gary Oldman I know. Um, just like Anthony Hopkins, obviously uh, Hannibal. Right, obviously, Signs of the Lambs. I think that's where. What you do know I know Anthony from. Hopkins from? No, Thor? I, don't, I think I don't think I've seen Silence of the Lambs. Definitely <gasps> Thor. You got to see Silence of the. Okay, I have a I have a very like patchwork movie education where it's like I've seen a lot of movies, but often they're not the movies you would expect. I what I like about Silence of the Lambs. So that came out a year before this one, and it won an Academy Award. Like it's it's really. It's really amazing storytelling and it is a horror movie, but it's also like a who it's like a mystery movie. It's you got to unpack it. There's science involved. And I also read all the books like the Hannibal series. So I really enjoy that. Gary Oldman has been married six times. To who? <laughs> I'm, looking at, I'm looking at his Wikipedia page right now. I'm like, what yeah. else has he been in I'll that also, I know? I'll also add that in my background research that Winona Ryder came out and said that Gary Oldman made her very uncomfortable on set because she's like, I think he was just going through, like making excuses for the man, right? I see it. Um, I think I was, he was going through a divorce and it was really hard for him. But like, I felt really traumatized by working next to him every day. And I was like, damn, because again, I don't know how old Winona Ryder was here. She couldn't have been much older than like 20 or 21 so anyway so that's those are the stories i've heard about gary oldman back in the day so does it surprise me that he's had six marriages it surprised me he convinced six women to marry him but then he's probably really rich so <laughs> final thoughts <laughs> um yeah well thank you for for watching this steph and uh podcasting with me about it i'm really glad we did this movie as, as strange as it is i think this podcast would have always felt incomplete if we didn't talk about it. And it's so foundational for everything else that came after it, vampire-wise, right? I know a lot of our listeners have asked, will we do a bonus episode or a couple of episodes about what we do in the shadows? And yes, we will get to that at some point. I think I can safely say we're, we're into that. But what we do in the shadows in many ways exists because of this movie, right? It is responding to this particular Dracula aesthetic. Yeah. So having watched this movie, I feel like we're much better equipped 
to watch and talk about other vampire stuff in the future. I agree. And it's, you know, we're almost or nearly two years into our podcast. And this is the first time I've done background research on folklore <laughs> and vampires. And I know um, this it probably already has come out at this point, but we are visiting over to another podcast to talk about vampires with them. So this is just one of the reasons why I did so much research, because I knew I had to do some for that anyway. But I liked what watching this movie did for my knowledge, because again, all these parallels I was drawing between this movie and the folklore of the book to what we watch now, it's amazing how much crosses over and how much Buffy, True Blood, Vampire Diaries, how much they take from Dracula. Like it's important to know because I think a lot of people like to give Buffy credit for being the first, but it, in no way was it the first. It was the first to do what it did to the level it did and as successfully, but how Oof. dare you, Steph? Joss Whedon went back in time and shadow directed this movie, <laughs> clearly. Yes. Sorry, I just wanted to, to pretend to be a Joss Whedon apologist for, for some reason. Joss Whedon <laughs> is Francis Ford Coppola's son. <laughs> he just, he changed his name to give himself a better, a more, a more independent he career. He changed his name to Joss? <laughs> <laughs> on that note, yes, Kara, thanks for waking up with me on a Saturday morning so that we could do this. I hope everyone's enjoying their holiday and um, is are looking forward to when we come back for what is to be a very sad bunch of episodes um, <laughs> in the new year for uh, season five Buffy. But There's no one I would rather be sad about Buffy with than you, Steph. I feel that too, unless it's Keanu Reeves. <laughs> That, that's fair. Keanu, if you're listening to this, you are invited onto the podcast. And if you want to replace me as a Prophecy Girls host, I guess I have to accept that. And I'll end it off by saying at the end of this podcast, you and I are going to look like Jonathan Harker <laughs> with the gray hair <laughs> and the tired eyes. Uh, all right. And finally, thank you to all of our Buy Me a Coffee supporters, especially our chosen ones, Lizzie, Hannah, Holly, Kayla, Brady, Jordan, Lena, Julian, Nicola, Luis, Emma, Taza, Kyle, Destiny, Erica, Allison, Jace, Haley, and Tasha. Thanks, everyone. We will see you very soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can't afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join us in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook prophecy underscore girls on twitter also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website prophecygirls.ca where you can find the link to our discord can't wait to hear from you praise malik see you next week